The Body Love Binge is the podcast for you if you're so done with living in the hellhole of an eating disorder, hating your body and constantly wishing you were thinner. If you're truly ready to heal from anorexia, bulimia or binge eating disorder and genuinely make friends with your body, then you're in the right place. I'm your host, Victoria Kleinsman, a food freedom and body love coach, eating disorder and abuse survivor who's on an absolute mission to love and support millions of women to come back home to self-love and intuition eating. If it's possible for me, I know it's possible for you as well. Thank you so much for being here. I'll see you in the episode. Welcome, queens, to another episode. This episode is a Q&A and... I tried to choose a title that encompassed all the questions. It was impossible unless I had a title that was like a whole paragraph long. So if you're listening to this, thank you, because you don't actually know what is in it yet. But I guarantee it's always of value. And the questions that the queens have asked, the listeners have asked, and you can ask a question anytime, by the way, just DM me, will be relevant to you in more ways than one. So before we get into the first question, I've got something very exciting to share. I did share this on my social media the other day. I decided every single month to do a prize draw for those that rate my podcast five star and or leave a review. And the the winner will get free access to my Body Love Bite, which is my online program, which is priced at 49 euros. It's priced at 49 euros, but that does not mean the value is 49 euros. There is a shit ton of value in there. I always over deliver, but I wanted to make it as accessible as possible. But you get a chance to win it for free. And all you need to do is either leave a five star review so you can write something and screenshot it and send it to me. Or I think on different platforms such as Spotify, you just mark it five stars and I don't think you can leave a review. But the reason and then screenshot that and send it to me and then every month I'll use like a generational, that's not the right word, a computer virtual hat type thing to pick someone's name out and they will get access to that, including my free membership as well. And the reason I'm doing this is because my podcast, if you're an avid listener, you'll know that I pour my heart and soul into this and I give so much valuable free content out there from a place of love to help as many people as possible. And I want to help even more people. And the best way to do this is is via my podcast. So the more people that rate it, the wider it it goes around the world because the the way the algorithm works, it suggests my podcast to other people that are listening to similar podcasts. And I want to just help as many people as possible. So I would love for you to support me on this mission by taking, I think if you just do the five star thing without a review, it will probably take like five seconds. And I deeply appreciate that. If you did that, send me a screenshot and then you get a chance to win the Body Love Bite as well as a thank you. Okay, so let's get into the first question then. And this question is by Claudia. And she says, I still like eating chocolate every day. I'm not sure if the fear of scarcity has completely gone. Is this okay? Yes. I mean, I'm sure you knew I was going to say that, Claudia. Yes, it's completely okay. And my question to you is, why wouldn't it be okay? 
what proof do you have that it's not okay to eat chocolate every day, right? Apart from society's conditioning, which isn't proof either. And everyone's body is different. I eat chocolate every day. If you was to compare, which is pointless, and there's actually a question about comparison that I'm gonna go into in a moment. If you was to compare my chocolate consumption to, I don't know, this is the thing, everyone's so different to let's say my next door neighbor, that's random, but that's the thing, then I am probably positive that I would eat four times as much as perhaps my next door neighbor eats in chocolate. So fucking what? I like chocolate. It brings me pleasure and I eat it whenever I want it. And so I also have no proof that it doesn't work for me. Meaning when I eat it the way I eat it currently, I don't feel bad physically. I don't feel sick. I don't feel sluggish. I don't feel bloated. I feel great. My blood sugar doesn't go spiking up or down. And I just feel good. So Claudia, what proof do you have that it's not okay for you to eat chocolate every day? And I do want to speak to the question, the word in the question, and that is the word scarcity, scarcity. So you said, I'm not sure if the fear of scarcity is completely gone. That's also okay, because the, obviously the word scarcity comes from not having enough. It's fear that there's not going to be enough. This can be around money, around food, around love, around anything. If we're living from a place of scarcity, we're scared that there's not going to be enough. And if you think back to your dieting and restricting history, then it kind of makes sense that your body is still not fully quite trusting that there's always going to be enough because you've been without for so long. And then when the binging happened, you've mentally tried to go without for so long, hence the binging happen happens. Then no wonder your body's still kind of needing a little bit more time. This is what happened to me as well. It needs more time to trust that there's going to be enough. You're not going to take it away from yourself anymore. You can have it when you want it. So basically it's just more allowance. Just keep allowing. Your body needs to be able to trust you that there's always going to be enough of this. And what I would recommend is if there's no, no such thing as really speeding up the process, but if you want to help yourself even more, get out of the feeling of scarcity, is it scarcity or scarcity, whatever? then I would recommend having an abundant amount of chocolate in the house all the time, especially where you can see it. So if you leave it out on the side and let's say you just have chocolate randomly throughout the day. So I used to only have chocolate in the evening and I would look forward to it in the evening, which is nice to look forward to, I guess, the same way you would look forward to relaxing and watching your favorite Netflix series or whatever. But then in regards to food, if you're kind of looking forward to something, it can also mean you're like having to wait until you can have it. There's nothing wrong with that, but to get rid of the scarcity feeling, I want you to have it for breakfast, for lunch, like a piece randomly at 11 o'clock in the morning, just to show that you can actually have it whenever the fuck you want it. It's no big deal. It's just chocolate. It's very delicious, but it's actually this, you actually miss the high that it used to give you. I definitely still do miss that but it's definitely not worth going back in the eating disorder that is for sure it's just proving to yourself that there's enough that it's in abundance you've given yourself permission and when you see it all the time it stops being such a big deal 
And so that's what I recommend just to help you on your journey to full radical allowance, which it sounds like you're living in, which is great. But there's a reason that you ask this question, right? This part of you that is perhaps questioning if that's okay. It is okay. Thank you for your question, Claudia. Okay, so the next question is from Joe. And Joe says, how can you accept what you want to eat, especially when it feels more compared to others? All right, so there's a lot of judgment here about what you think your food should look like, needs to look like, has to look like in comparison to somebody else's. Because if you was comparing your eating and what you were eating, instead of comparing it with your husband or your friends, if you were comparing it with a bodybuilder who was a professional athlete who was in bulking season and wanting to gain muscle, then you would be, wouldn't be even eating as half as much as this bodybuilder, right? So with comparison, it doesn't make sense to compare at all because everyone's bodies and needs and desires and even more are so different. Every single person's body is so different. It literally makes no sense to compare. If you were sat comparing your food to what I ate, Joe, perhaps I would eat more than you. Perhaps I wouldn't. Who knows? It, 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 can you see where I'm going with this? Like, it doesn't make any sense. And of course, that's a, a logical level. And I know why you're doing it, because I used to do it too. Hello. Of course I did. I speak from experience as well as, you know, my knowledge qualifications and all of that is mainly from experience and having overcome this. The reason you're comparing, it's an anxiety behavior, comparison with food and with anything really, unless you're comparing to be superior to someone. And even that, I would argue, is born from fear. Food comparison is an anxiety behavior to reassure, in quotes, to reassure yourself that you're not eating, quote, too much. It's a protective mechanism that the anxiety creates in order to help you, but obviously it doesn't help you. And it's kind of a reassurance to make sure you're okay. But we need to go deeper than that because you are okay regardless of what you eat or don't eat. Plus, knowing you personally, your inactive recovery from a lifelong of anorexia, you cannot eat too much food. There's no such thing as too much food, right? I don't care what you think about the weight you've put on and how big you think you are and all of that. You cannot eat too much food. You're in anorexia recovery. Your body has got a shitload of making up to do, internal work in your body to repair You've got to show your body there's enough. It's not going to be starved again, all of that. So there's no such thing as too much food. Also, comparing your food is a controlling behavior because, again, from personal experience, if you can get the other person to eat more than you, you feel better about yourself. You feel safe. You feel like you're good enough. You feel happy in a fucked up way. If someone that you're with eats more than you, you feel then okay and like you've not done anything wrong. But there's nothing that you're doing wrong, even if you eat way more than the person that you're with, okay? So I want you to ask yourself these questions and journal these. What if I do eat more than my husband? What does that mean? Why is that not okay? 
And then whatever you've written down in answer to those questions, I want you to write down, why is that not true? What are you making that mean? So if I eat more than my husband, then it means, journal the answer to that. What, why is it not okay? And then, and then another journal prompt, why is the above what you've written actually not true? Because these are just stories from your fear that are keeping you stuck. And acceptance, because you use the word acceptance in the question. So just to reiterate the question back to everybody, how can you accept what you want to eat when it's more than when you're eating more than others? Well, acceptance is giving up fighting reality. So it doesn't mean you have to approve of something. You can accept that there was a tsunami in wherever it was a couple of years ago. Doesn't mean you have to approve and like the fact that there was a tsunami, but it, it, it is what it is. It happened. I'm looking outside the window and it's actually a beautiful, clear day with blue skies and sunshine and it's quite cold. I like that. I accept it. But if I didn't like it, it doesn't mean I don't accept it because it is what it is. It's easier to accept the weather because we don't think we can control the weather. We can't. Well, there's another story altogether with conspiracy stuff, but in, in general, we can't control the weather, right? You still think you can control your food and your body. And I call bullshit on that. And we go through this in depth in my programs. But regardless, let's talk about your food and comparing what you're, you're eating compared to your husband, as an example. You have two choices. You can either continue feeling shit about yourself all day or week because you've eaten more than him or because that's lack of acceptance, right? Or you can choose to accept that you ate more than him. There's nothing wrong with that. Remind yourself there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And then any any thing that comes up in objection to that, take a look at it and then go through this process, like question it. Why is that not true? The, the eating disorder thinks there's something wrong with you eating more than your husband, but the eating disorder is a liar and it doesn't actually care about you. It's just acting from a fear response, like a chicken with its head cut off, which is a horrible analogy actually. And it doesn't know what the fuck it's doing, but you're allowing that story to just rule your life and feel shit every day about yourself. But I do want to acknowledge you because I know that you're taking massive action steps to recover. So just keep going with that. But the two choices you have to accept what happened, to accept that you've eaten more and also remind yourself that's a good thing and it's definitely not a bad thing. And then just feel at peace without fighting, without suffering, or choose to keep suffering and keep choosing to resist reality and not accept. And you know how that feels. There's always a choice. So thank you for your question, Joe. The next question, I've got two questions that are kind of similar in regards to tuning into your body and, and hunger signals. So I am going to answer both questions individually. And I'm going to start with the question from Julia, and then I'm going to ask the question from Katinka. I hope I say your name right, Katinka. I know I'm seeing you in a couple of days for our call, um, but I'm going to ask Julia's first, then Katinka's, and they kind of do overlap together. So Julia says, hunger signals you can trust and watch out for, <clears throat> excuse me, in eating disorder recovery. Let me just have a drink. 
Okay, so hunger signs you can trust and watch out for in eating disorder recovery. Well, I will say this, if you've been restricting for a long time, you won't actually remember what hunger feels like. My client, ex-client Julia, and not the Julia that's asked the question, a different Julia, who will definitely be listening to this. Hi, Julia, I love you. She's a recovery coach herself now. So fucking excited for that. Um, I remember her messaging me and she will too. The first time she felt hunger because she was she had anorexia for 40 years and now she's recovered. And it was only a couple of months ago that she was like, I think I experienced hunger. Like I had this weird pain in my tummy in the middle of the night and I think it was hunger and I asked her what it what it felt like and she tried to describe it to me and I was like that sounds like hunger to me and she was really confused and astounded that this was happening because she'd not felt anything like this for so long and so don't be alarmed if you have no idea what it feels like it's okay this is how you get your hunger signals back and how to trust what's happening and all of that. The first step is always being open to listening to your body's needs and signals. If you're not open to hearing what your body has to say, then you're not going to that's not going to be invited into your awareness. You'll just dismiss it. So first of all, you have to just be open and receptive to be able to be given communication from your body. The second step is acting on them. And then when you're aware and then you act on the signals and the desires and the needs that your body communicates with you, when you act on them, they will get stronger and you'll just be so connected to yourself. It's such a beautiful feeling. And so if you're thinking about food, and you're not sure if you're hungry or not, I almost 100% of the time guarantee you're most likely hungry. So go and eat. A perfect example of this is when you know you're not hungry, when you're thinking about food, and I'll give an example in the present tense for myself now. Before I started to record this, I made myself a delicious chocolate shake and if anyone's interested here are the ingredients a scoop of my favorite chocolate and caramel protein powder full fat milk um a big tablespoon of like coconut cream a handful of frozen blueberries and a handful of frozen raspberries all whizzed up in a blender and it's like drinking a really thick creamy milkshake and I feel like I've nourished my body it's got proteins fats carbs and it's pleasurable because that's really important to me. I can now think about food. Let's say if I think about my lunch, which I've got as an option because I eat intuitively. So if what I've got planned for lunch, if I don't feel like that, I'll just eat something different. But I've got planned for lunch some. OK, this is a Dutch soup. It's called Erten soup. And basically it's like the green, the fat green peas that's the Erton, I'm probably saying it wrong. I think it's like Erton, something like that. It's like the green pea soup and it's got like these sausage meat things in it. And I just, re- in fact, this is how much I fancied that today. I got up this morning, did my usual morning routine and ran out of milk. So I needed to get it for my shake anyway. And then I was going around the supermarket and I was like, oh my God, you know what? I think at lunchtime, I really might fancy some Erton soup and I didn't have any. So I purposely went to get some 
because that's what I think that I might want at lunchtime. It may change, it may not, but I care about myself and my desires that much. I went to the shop to purposely get some because I could have done without the milk. I just could have used all coconut milk instead. Anyway, I digress now, but I can be thinking about my lunch now and know that I don't want to eat it now because I'm not hungry in the slightest. So if you're thinking about food, but you're not sure if you're hungry, you're hungry, so go and eat, especially in eating disorder recovery, including binge eating, right? Whereas if I think about eating chocolate now, again, don't don't really want to eat it because I know I don't want it. Whereas if I was like, oh, maybe I do, then I would go and eat it because I'm just proving to myself as well and my body that there's enough, you can have it whenever you want it. And then eating just becomes easy. So hunger can feel different differently to different people for me sometimes it can be a growl in the stomach but that honestly means I've gone too far like too far past hunger I need to eat now so for me before I get the stomach growl which for me I've gone too far I have these and I've shared this on a podcast I'm sure before I have these little hiccup things like a hiccup burp and it's just so cute that my body does that and that is literally the way my body's like excuse me, you need to like nourish me, go and eat something. Not that I like forget to eat or anything like that. Definitely not. Sometimes for me, it can just feel like tiredness, like lethargy, like, oh, actually, maybe I should eat something because I'm just feeling like quite meh. And that can help. So there's no right or wrong answer here, but I want you to get to know your unique body and what it feels like to you when you have hunger. And you'll just be able to build on this. So it could be a headache. It could be tiredness. It could be a tummy tummy growl. It could be just thinking about food. Any of those things, get to know your body and pay attention. If you're in anorexia recovery, then forget everything I've just said until you're a certain way into recovery and you just got to eat anyway. And that's why a recovery coach is really important. I don't like meal plans because they're too reliant. I mean, yes, there's some positives, there's some negatives. They provide structure. But as a recovery coach myself, I can provide structure with the client anyway without having a plan, especially with the WhatsApp support where they're sending me photos of what they're eating all day, every day, which is part of my um, coaching program. So if you're in anorexia recovery, you need to eat anyway. And I've said this before, but I'll give you a structure. Breakfast, snack, lunch, dessert, snack, dinner, dessert, snack, at least, regardless of if you're hungry or not. And that's another story altogether about the genetic component, the migration response, having to force basically mechanically eat, almost force feed yourself. And that's what Julia did, not the Julia that asked this question, but my ex-client, Julia. And that's when her hunger signals all of a sudden came back with a vengeance. And then she was eating in the middle of the night for weeks. I'm I'm pretty sure that stopped now. And I said she should like literally contact Belvita because she was eating Belvita biscuits because they had less crumbs and they're easy to eat to sponsor her or something. But she allowed that. And that's how she connected back with her hunger. So... I've got a tickly nose, like I'm going to sneeze, but I'm not. So either way, if you're in eating disorder recovery from bulimia, binge eating disorder, orthorexia, anorexia, 
anorexia is a little bit different, but either way, I want you to offer yourself, okay, not anorexia recovery because you've got to eat anyway, any other eating disorder recovery, I want you to offer yourself three nutritionally balanced and pleasurable, that's really important, three meals a day and anything else you want to eat in between, go for it and start paying attention to your hunger, your alertness, your energy levels, etc. And you will guarantee you because wherever your attention goes, energy flows, and then that expands, whatever you focus on, you get more of. So start to genuinely want to take care of your body and get to know yourself. And then she will send you the signals. In binge eating recovery specifically, even if you know that you're not physically hungry, if you're emotionally and mentally restricting, aka your in diet mentality, judging your food, all of that, you will still be driven to eat anyway. And therefore you should, because restriction doesn't work. And again, that's a little bit of a different topic. But if you know me, you'll, you would have heard me speak about this by now. But there is no reason in anything that I share and what I teach, I will never say don't eat that. I will never say, well, you should go for a walk to distract yourself from emotionally eating ice cream. Well, that doesn't work either, does it? Might work temporarily. Then you're going to end up eating the ice cream anyway, whether it's that day or a week later. That's why mindset work is really crucial. Emotional regulation, getting to the root of it. So the second question around this was from Katinka. And she says, how do you connect and listen to your body better? What do I need? Am I full? Does this nourish me? Does this feel good to me? And what I want to say, Katinka, is you've sort of answered your own question within the question. Because if you look at the question, you've asked questions in the question, kind of like I do, you're paying attention. You're genuinely asking loving connected questions to yourself to your body such as what do I need am I full does this nourish me does this feel good to me that alone can create massive connection and change right because the most important thing here is when you ask yourself these questions is to ask them from a place of non-judgment meaning if you asked yourself, am I full? And you connected to your body and your body was like, I'm actually too full. Then just be curious about that. Don't make it mean anything about yourself. Don't judge yourself for it. It's just having the awareness, paying attention to your body and then asking questions from a place of judgment. Your body will always give you the answers if you're present and if you care about the answer. So it's a, it's like treating your body, and this is to speak to Julie's question too, treat your body like a toddler. Hey, sweetheart, what do you need? How do you feel? Do you want any more? Have you had enough? What can I get you? Just be present, ask questions from a place of love, and you will get the answers. And the last point on this, your body doesn't judge you, right? So let's say, you check in with your body. Let's say you're let's say you out for a meal and you've had a starter and a main and you you want the dessert because you want to taste the chocolate caramel peanut butter cheesecake. 
randomly came to me kind of you can kind of tell that's my kind of dessert and let's say you you're halfway through the cheesecake and you're like oh oh my gosh I'm so full and your body's like hey I'm like really full it would be helpful to stop eating right now if you so choose to eat anyway simply because you want to continue the pleasurable experience of eating this delicious cheesecake that you probably paid about seven pounds for or euros whatever that is okay too your body does not judge you it doesn't hate on you it's not shaming you for eating past fullness when she said I don't want anymore you do that for yourself or should I say diet culture teaches you to do that for yourself and you don't need to do that to yourself either it's okay to eat simply for the pleasure of eating. And then also after that, your body naturally adjusts, meaning when we get out of our own way, when we learn to tune into our bodies, which is what we're talking about here, of course, when we just have whatever we want from a place of allowance, your body will naturally adjust. So therefore in the next day or two, you might not be as hungry and just pay attention to that and get curious about that. I get I got curious about my chocolate. So going back to Claudia's question at the beginning of this podcast, I decided I was eating too much chocolate. And so therefore I would basically micro restrict and only have it at certain times of the day or only at the weekend. But the funny thing was, the more I paid attention from a place of curiosity, when I didn't eat chocolate in the evening, I ate more the next day because I was naturally hungry and I didn't, my body hadn't had those calories the night before. And so it balances, your body knows what it's doing anyway. So then if, and when I eat chocolate in the evening, I'm naturally less hungry later on in the day. Whereas if I don't have it, I'm hungry. So I eat more anyway, because I listen to my hunger, right? So just surrender and trust that your body knows what it is doing. All right, then. So the next we have three questions left. So the next one is by Rosie. And Rosie says, what's the difference between binging and allowance? I love this question. Binging is a natural biological response to restriction. It feels out of control. It's often done in secret. It feels shameful. You know how that feels. 99% of you, I know I do have a lot more anorexia recovery clients listening as well, and I hope that everything I share helps all of you, but most of you will know what binging feels like. It's a natural biological response to restriction, but it feels like shit. You feel like a shit person. You feel physically shit. You eat more than what you physically want to eat, definitely more than what you emotionally want to eat, and all of that. Allowance, however is eating what you want from a place of abundance and permission. So there is no restriction to rebel against, right? Allowance does not judge how much food, what type of food you're eating. Allowance is eating in a relaxed, pleasurable state. Because binging and dieting is not an action. It's a state of mind. It's a state of being. And so allowance is sanity around food, regardless of what you're eating. And binging is feeling batshit crazy around food. And I say this often, and I want to reiterate it back here because it makes complete sense to add this in. I could eat two tubs of Ben and Jerry's 
and not be binging and just be in a place of allowance, permission, pleasure, non-judgment. Or I could say no to Ben and Jerry's when I perhaps probably wanted to taste it, but I'm not that bothered. And I say, no, thank you, due to many other reasons, such as after this, I've got to go here and do that. And I don't want to be feeling really full. Whatever reason, I could say no and not be dieting or not be restricting either because allowance creates space for choice. You cannot choose from a place of relaxation when you're in a reaction rebellion from restriction. So that is a great question, Rosie. Thank you. The next question is from Mitch and that she's on Instagram and she says, it wasn't really a question. It was more of like a, a response to the story that I put on to ask for questions around this for the podcast. And she says, non-food related anxiety in recovery, feeling like I have no purpose in life. Now, I really enjoyed listening to this question or this statement because I have a lot to say about this. When you've had an eating disorder for so long it can literally feel like the eating disorder is who you are the eating disorder is or was your only purpose in life I genuinely thought until I found out that this wasn't true that you're born into the world and therefore you spend your whole life either dieting trying to lose weight or being scared of gaining weight and trying to keep your body looking a certain way. I genuinely thought that was just the meaning of life. That was my purpose to be as slim as and, and as attractive as possible. But that's not true. And so I just want to validate how you might potentially be feeling at this moment, Mitch, that that you might feel like you have no idea who you are. You might be thinking things like, okay, the eating disorder was felt like my life purpose. It felt like who I was. Now I'm in recovery from that. Well, who the fuck am I then? Well, now what do I do with my life? I feel you, I've experienced this. And you know what? What you're currently going through sounds like an identity crisis. And that is a beautiful thing. Because when you're in an identity crisis, it shows that you're evolving, you're growing as a woman, as a soul, as a person, as a human. You're growing to the next stage of your life or you're being invited to grow. Your old identity is no longer serving you. And that is fucking exciting because guess what? You are the creator of your life and you get to choose what to create. Now, I know you also might be like, but I don't know what I wanna create. I don't know what I want. And again, I have been there too it's a horrible feeling and I cried a hell of a lot and I was like I wasn't suicidal but I was like what the fuck's the point if I have no idea what I even want to do especially now I'm in recovery from my eating disorder that I've had since I was about nine well then what right and this is where it gets exciting open yourself up to the possibility of this being the best thing that has ever happened to you right because I'm going to ask you some questions now and I want you to journal these not just even think about them, journal them, Mitch, okay? Who do you want to be? If that's even hard to answer, imagine this question. Well, I'm going to ask you the question, but imagine this scenario. At your funeral, which hopefully is many, many years into the future, 
what do you want people to be saying about you as a person and what you lived for at your funeral? That can be helpful. What do you enjoy doing? What did you want to do as a child when you were growing up? If absolutely anything was possible and you had infinite resources and money and time, what would you do with your life? Connect to the part of you that wants to dream, that those childlike parts of you. I mean, children visualize and play make-believe all the time, like they're cooking in a kitchen that's not even there and they're giving you friggin' spaghetti hoops on an imaginary plate and that you pretend to eat, Right. Be that again. What do you want to create? What do you dream of? Connect that part of you and allow it to be there. Allow it to expand and open yourself up to what it is that you're here to do. Because you mentioned the word anxiety as well. Anxiety, non, non-food related anxiety. Well, anxiety is always looking for something to, is anxiety is looking for something that's not okay to be worried about. So anxiety is looking for something to worry about. That's literally anxiety's point in existence, to find something to worry about and to feel shit. That is literally all anxiety is there for. And that's not who you are. So what if you were actually okay right now? What if you were exactly where you are supposed to be right now, even having no clue what you want to do? This is happening for a reason and get excited because I guarantee you and I know so strongly because I've been through this, what you've described, not having a fucking clue who I was, what I wanted, what my purpose was, where I was going, what I was even doing here. Like, again, I wasn't suicidal at this point, but I was like, what's the point? But when you allow yourself to be open to the possibility that you will naturally find your purpose through connecting to the authentic self that you are, you start to notice breadcrumbs, right? So it might be a person, it might be a place, it might be an experience that you've given an opportunity to take part in. Notice these breadcrumbs along the way. And when you follow them, you have free will on planet earth. So you get to choose whether you follow the breadcrumb or not. You don't have to your heart will guide you whether to or not. There might be fear there because of fear of rejection, fear of judgment, all of that. You know if the breadcrumb is the right one to follow regardless of the fear because fear is always going to be there, just FYI. When you follow the breadcrumbs, you eventually get a loaf. And when you follow the breadcrumbs and the loaf, you eventually get your own bakery. And then you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so grateful every day. I'm living my purpose. I'm living out my dharma like in soul language you call it your dharma like what you're here to do and there is no better feeling potentially you could your dharma could be being a recovery coach right you say you're in active recovery from an eating disorder what if your dharma your passion your purpose is to be a coach like myself in your own way to help people recover from an eating disorder allow yourself to be open to any potentiality because you can literally create whatever you want you are the creator of your own life so what do you want to create have fun with it don't take it too seriously all right and the last question is from Miha Manita which means my little sister in Spanish from Carla and she says it's not a question it was just more of like again a reply to my Q&A box 
She says, the soul, nourished movement and women's empowerment. I mean, this is such a broad question. It's not a question, but you know what I mean? I could literally go many different ways to talk about this and I could talk for ages, but I'm going to rein myself in and just say what comes up and say what I've written in bullet points to help guide me to answer this with as much value as possible. So the soul then, I believe, or more so it's a knowing, it's it's just an inner knowing that I don't need to explain to anybody, I just know it, and if you know yourself, you know, and if you don't, that's also okay, and it doesn't have to be for you this lifetime, but I know that we are cosmic beings living a human experience. So the soul, to me, represents who we really are. And that is cosmic beings of awareness whose natural state is love, peace, and joy. So to me, the soul is creator consciousness. It's consciousness that's aware of its own consciousness. And then you get to create whatever the fuck you want to create in your life. And you create through your consciousness, through your thoughts, through your feelings, and all of that. So that's my little blurb on what I believe the soul to be. Nourish movement. So if you Google the word nourishment, nourish means to provide food or other substances necessary for growth, health, and good condition. So Carla asked about nourish movement, so exercise, because Carla used to have an exercise addiction. And she's recovered now and so freaking proud of her. And she's actually helping women. This is her dharma, right? Her purpose. She's now helping women, Spanish talking women, recover from anorexia. She's a recovery coach. There's a reason why we go through the shit we go through. And I believe that we get to turn our pain into our power and our passion and purpose to help others. There's a lot of peas in there. And so nourish movement, we're going from the, the meaning of nourishment, necessary for growth, health, and good condition. So any kind of body movement from a place of love, from a place of care, from a place of growth and health and feeling good is what is what I invite you to only have your movement practice from a foundation or a inspiration of those feelings, love, care, genuine, basically love to make it as simple as possible. Is it born out of love? Then make sure you follow through with that. A lot of movement for people, especially if you're using the word, I should, I need to force myself. I have to, I need to compensate. I should do this because I'm going out tonight. That's all born from a place of fear And that's not a nourishing place to be for anything, especially in terms of body movement. Also, if you have an injury and you're, and it's hurting, then why would you force yourself to do something that your body's clearly telling you it doesn't feel good right now? Listen to your body. I'm all about body movement. Those of you that know me, I love the gym. I love to push myself from a place of challenging myself from a place of love and getting fitter and that just feels good to me and I I ask myself this question I don't need to ask it anymore but it was such a powerful question to me and the answer has always been yes not always been since I've recovered it's always been yes and I'm going to ask it to you now so would I still do this body movement if I knew for a fact 
that it would have zero impact on my body size or my body weight? If the answer is yes, but all the other amazing reasons why you might want to move your body, then go ahead and do it. If the answer is no, then take a break and start to reevaluate your relationship to fitness and body movement and reach out to me for help. And the last part of Carla's kind of question statement, the words women, women's empowerment. I mean, where do I even start? I'm going to start somewhere though. To me, women's empowerment means to be empowered as a woman, to value yourself, to show up as your authentic self, to know your worth and trust and believe in yourself to create whatever it is that you want to create in life. To me, woman's empowerment is about taking bold action and always looking within for what you need and not looking without. So instead of looking without for love, confidence and validation, it's looking within for those things and knowing that you are the source of those things, love, confidence, validation, and giving them to yourself and also being open to receiving them from yourself. As women, we need to be able to receive, even in the physical world, when we're being intimate with a man, the woman has to receive and you cannot receive fully until you're relaxed and open physically, emotionally, metaphorically, and surrendered. And then you receive the pleasure, right? On your grounds, you can only surrender and receive when you actually want to. Women's empowerment is not being kept in society's small box. It's not trying to suppress your body size to keep yourself small. It's being who you really are. It's knowing that you are an incredibly powerful, radiant, beautiful being and your presence here on earth is deeply important and needed. And it's acting that way. It's acting like you know that to be true because it is. And then you won't be acting anymore because you'll be embodying it. You will know and live it. Women's empowerment is about changing the whole goddamn world for the better. That's what I believe women's empowerment to be. And I'm going to leave you with a quote that I must have said time and time again, because I absolutely adore this quote. And this is what really got me through the last parts of my recovery. And that quote is, natural, strong, authentic women do not suppress their body size. I miss, I kind of added something at the beginning. Let me go again. Strong, authentic women do not suppress their natural body size. You can go different ways with this. Strong, authentic women do not suppress themselves. Strong, authentic women do not keep themselves small. Whatever resonates with you, go with that. Start telling yourself stories and empowering beliefs that serve you and go forth and create whatever the fuck it is you want to create. All right, beauties. I hope you enjoyed that Q&A. I love doing Q&A. So if you have any questions for a podcast episode, please let me know. As I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, rate and review, screenshot it to me. You could be in a chance to win the Body Love Bite. And I deeply appreciate you and thank you in advance. I love you so much and I will see you next week. Mwah. Lots of love. Bye. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share, subscribe and leave me a five-star review. Your support means the absolute world to me and it really does help me to get my podcast out there for those that need it.
Thank you.